Story number one. Everything's a nail, written by Hidden Fox. Every race brings something new, something unique to the intergalactic table. The Iziara brought their unique knowledge of faster-than-light travel. The Kacha brought the mastery of cuisine and flavor. But humans... Humans brought the strangest thing. You see, when we first met humans, nothing in particular stood out. They weren't particularly better at anything. Their art wasn't good as the Wentians. Their technology were nothing compared to the complexity of the Talan. The humans didn't bring a skill. They brought a single concept. They brought a phrase. They brought every tool is a hammer. It's an odd phrase. Quite simply, what it means is that every tool can be used as a hammer, from calipers to a crowbar. They are hammers. That's not the issue with the phrase. Of course, every tool can be used as a hammer. But why would you? What the phrase meant was something else completely. For humans, not only is every tool a hammer, everything is a tool. Why get a glass cutter when you can just use a rock? Why create anti-gravity technology when you have rockets? Why have one powerful computer when you could just use four weak ones? Why use poison if you have a gun? Why use a gun if you have a chemical weapon? Why use troops if you have a planet cracker? Not only is everything a tool, so is everyone. And nothing can be scarier than the concept of a living human tool. End of story number one. Story number two. Origins of an Empire, written by Oxtech. The king rose from his seat, cup and his saucer in hand. He walked towards the window and opened up the wooden case. From within he drew two pipes and, lighting them on a nearby candle, offered one to the Goldie ambassador. How far back do your people trace their proud history? I heard you spoke of ancient traditions that the time of owls persecuted mankind. Please, do elaborate. The ambassador quickly joined the king at the window accepting the pipe. He noted that the view from here was quite an excellent one, as hundreds upon hundreds of buildings of all shapes and sizes were sprawled out before him. He thought thoroughly about how he should satisfy the king's curiosity, remembering the history lessons of his old tutors. On a whim, he also decided to take the opportunity and display some of his arcane abilities to spice up his own lesson. Taking a deep drag from the pipe, he exhaled the smoke, and he used his sorcery to form into various scenes from the history of the goal. Slowly, the smoke began to take shape, displaying images of vast cities that stretched for miles, great pyramids that seemed to reach the sky, and streets teeming with life. Buildings of intricate designs rose from the ground in great numbers, while the markets were lost and overflowing with exotic goods from all across their dominion. It is said, in ancient days, when the false gods still walked the earth, that many peoples that would later become the tribe of Gaul would the first of the human tribes to conceive the concept of civilization in the lands of Vaitrena Inferius. It was that we developed agriculture, built vast irrigation systems and great pyramids of stone and brick. Legends claim that it was a time of inconceivable wealth and prosperity, so much so that the entire cities were built upon gold and the streets were lined with diamonds. It is said that there was no war then, no hunger, no poverty, no conflict, only peace and tranquility. A utopia, if you will, 
built on the principles of freedom and equality, where no man stood above the other, the realms vast and diverse, knowing no hardships, they worked only for the betterment of all. But then everything changed when the great enemy arrived. Now the smoke changed to an image of an elf and a man embracing each other, showing each other gifts and exchanging pleasantries. The human appeared to be genuinely delighted, no hint of treachery or malice. The elf's visage, however, was twisted and distorted, his empty eyes and supplementing his false smile. They came to us bearing offers of coexistence and friendship, peace and understanding, blinding by all the sense of security we accepted. After all, what would possibly go wrong? Who could possibly challenge us, the masters of our own world? We had to tame the rivers and deserts, bent the elements to our world through arcane means. For a short while thereafter, all seemed to be well. They appeared to keep their promises, and we lived in harmony. In secret, however, they worked tirelessly to undermine our civilization. Slowly, but surely, they infiltrated our governments, leached off our wealth like parasites, and undermined the bonds that kept family and society together. By the time we discovered their insidious plot, it was already too late. They subjugated, enslaved, and humiliated us. They enslaved our men, defiled our women, and desecrated our temples, and murdered our children with a sadistic glee, shattering in but a few moments what had taken us centuries to build. Ambassador took another drag from his pipe, exhaling the new smoke and refreshing the fading old. The new smoke once again showed an image of a glorious Gudian city, but this one was different. The streets were empty, the buildings in ruins, and the Great Pyramid had been replaced by massive piles of corpses, while the temples were shattered, replaced with idols and tribute to a foreign god. We fought back, of course, we raised great armies, invoked the blessing of our gods, and fought a great ferocity. But alas, it was all for no use. Our armies were shattered, for the gods refused to answer, and even the strongest of wolves can be broken if pushed far enough. It was then, in our darkest hour, that the prophet Ghoul emerged. Legend claims that he was twice the size of an ordinary man, with skin and a glistened like gold in the sun, and flesh impervious to spell and sword. He possessed a magical prowess far beyond the comprehension of you and me as it is said that with but a thought he could raise mountains from the earth and summon storms that engulfed the horizon. It was he who answered our pleas for help when no one else would, and it was he who offered us deliverance from certain doom. The image of the smoke now changed to a silhouette of a man who appeared to be a very definition of a perfect human, though his face was obscured by a golden mask. The rest of his body was built entirely of muscle, his skin glamorous and smooth while his eyes blazed like scarlet embers. Alone he stood amongst what he seemed to be an endless horde of elvish warriors, their visages twisted with fear, desperation, and malice. With but a flick of his fingers, their flesh was torn from their bodies, and as though they were being mauled by an invisible beast. With a great power, he wrought righteous vengeance upon the subhumans, casting upon them a curse so terrible that even now, thousands of years later, I dare not utter words spoken on that day. 
lest my dreams and those of my offsprings would be haunted by the nightmares for all eternity. He spoke, a shiver went down the ambassador's spine, and so did the smoke twisted to a scene of nightmares and madness. Disgusting creatures creeped out of the mutated corpses, feasting on the swarm of maggots and were eating away at the intestines. The ground beneath them seemed to twist and die. Lush fields slowly turned into haunted desert. The land itself was cursed to deny the elves their spoils, and their souls were consigned to an eternal suffering. To replace what was lost, Prophet Ghoul, peace be upon him, raised a bridge of ice over the vast ocean, promising us a new land if we already followed him. Once again, the smoke changed. Now it displayed a scene where the Prophet raising the bridge so fast that it disappeared beyond the horizon. Hundreds upon hundreds of thousands of men, women, and children made their arduous journey across the sea, the bridge collapsing behind them as they went. After years of hardship, we finally arrived in Bakan, where they were settled and started over. However, it was not long before we noticed that we were not alone, for this land, too, the great enemy dwelt. Once they were came for promises of friendship and love, but this time... We saw their lies for what they were, and struck them down. It was then that the great prophet Ghoul proclaimed the first great tyrant, empowering him with his divine mandate to rule over all that remained of the mankind, and to cleanse this brave new world of all who would oppose us. The tribes of man, in their unsending gratitude, then swore to Ghoul that their souls and the souls of their descendants would find no peace until the great enemy was vanquished and Makan finally theirs. And in turn, Ghoul swore to walk a path of torment until they succeeded. It was thus that the great struggle began, and tyranny was forged from the flames of vengeance and tempered by the woes of betrayal. But, regardless of his power, Gaul was but a mortal man, and he too eventually succumbed to old age. Upon his death, however, he was not simply mourned, not merely honoured. No, it was by the collective will of our people and the powers beyond our understanding that his soul ascended to godhood, and from that day on he has watched over his chosen people, observing our work as a parent would watch over their child. The smoke showed a few more related scenes before finally fading. The proclamation of the first great tyrant, the first campaign against the owls, the construction of the royal palace and the obsidian throne, and so forth. The ambassador then finally finished smoking his pipe, and he concluded his tale. I believe you can imagine what came thereafter. The ambassador continued to survey the city, and his eyes eventually came to rest on the battlements with great disdain. He noticed that the coastal batteries were still aimed at the White Fleet. Once again, his anger fed up, and with even him noticing it, he incinerated the tiny stub of a cigar that still remained in his fingers as he thought about the properly addressed this issue. The king, meanwhile, would continue smoking his pipe, swiping away his smoke in order to not disturb the goalie's elaborate smoke display, which he observed with great interest. Whilst the facts were likely skewed and the legend exaggerated, he thought of the current state of Voltrena, the north of which was civilized enough to perhaps nearly rival Cavatar, whilst the south was a wreck, a shadow of its former self if the ambassador's tale was indeed true. Inhabited by savages and barbarians, 
It was nothing more than a cake for great powers of the old world, to be carved up and colonized as they pleased. Southern Valdrania would like to be unrecognizable by your ancestors, great deserts devoid of human life, no civilization for miles upon miles, vast rainforests inhabited by savages, elves, and other beast folk. Even the men have been left in a poor state. To teach these people the wonders of civilization is our sacred cause, and this is where our armies have gone most recently, to tame these violent wastes and bring order to the chaos. Then the curse did what it was intended to do. Certainly the elves are the descendants of those who first wronged us, and it fills me with the joy that they have been humbled. And these men, perhaps they are our distant cousins, descendants of those few who were left behind. In any case, I doubt that they still have anything in common with us if they are, as you say, true. You may deal with them as you see fit. I doubt that the great tyrant would object to a nation of pure as yours bringing the civilization once more. The ambassador's eyes remained fixed on the battlements, perhaps hoping that the king would notice. Well, he did so. He thought about the elves that still remained in Voltrena, infurious. A mere thought of those subhumans may still defile the ruins of the ancestors disgusted him. If you permit it, I am sure that the tyrant would be more than happy to provide funds and materials to aid you in your conquest of our ancient lands. Perhaps, if our friendship blossoms, I could even convince him to spare a few legions. I assure you, there are the best of what they do. You'd be surprised at how many subhumans manage to hide in dark corners. Invisible to the untrained eye. End of story number two.